Good evening. I'm Rick Cottom. Welcome to Your Maryland. Coal mining towns like Lona Coning in western Maryland didn't have much to celebrate in 1900. Life around the mines was hard. Men like John Grove went to work before daylight and came out after dark for 50 cents a ton. By the time World War I began, people thought the mines might play out, leaving them with nothing more than the rugged beauty of the mountains. But there was amusement. Everyone, it seemed, played baseball. Youngsters made their own baseballs, and when those ran out, they used stones. If they needed a bat, they just pulled off a fence paling. Nobody was better at this rough-hewn version of the game than John Grove's son, Robert Moses. People remembered him as a quiet boy, running through the streets, teasing little girls with the other boys, always with a baseball glove tied to his belt. He dropped out of school at 13 to help support the family, but after two weeks in the mines, he quit. I didn't put that coal in there, he said, and I hope I don't have to take no more of her out. When he was old enough, organized clubs put the tall, lanky kid at first base, until they found that when he threw a ball across the infield, nobody could catch it. That's when things started to look up a bit in Lona Coning. Before anyone knew quite what was happening, the menfolk were wolfing down Sunday dinners and rushing off to a place called First Field, a clearing in the woods behind the Big Vein Mine, because Robert Moses Grove was pitching. Some folks called him Mose, others Lefty. At 19, he went to Martinsburg and became the ace of their staff. Teams stood so little chance against him that one player in Hagerstown contacted the Orioles. Jack Dunn had the kids scouted, and in June 1920, Robert Moses' lefty Grove stepped out onto the rock-hard infield of Oriole Park, whose close fences were a pitcher's nightmare. The jump from the Blue Ridge League to the International League wasn't easy. Nobody had ever taught lefty how to pitch, and Jack Dunn didn't try. Just keep throwing as hard as you can, he told the rookie. Don't let up. As wild as he was fast, Lefty Grove frightened batters and spectators half to death. One day, his fastball sailed four feet over the batter's head and smashed the protective wire fence behind home plate so hard it sent a young woman in the stands screaming into the arms of her boyfriend and a marriage that lasted a lifetime. Grove spared no one. When the mighty Babe Ruth appeared for an exhibition game, Lefty fired a fastball that tore the buttons off Ruth's shirt. Ruth trotted to first base, grumbling about bush leaguers. I didn't give a damn whether I hit him or not, Grove said later. That was the nature of baseball in the 1920s, and by the time the Orioles sold him to the powerful Philadelphia Athletics in 1925, Lefty was ready for it. His debut with the A's was a debacle, but gradually he got better, largely because he developed at least partial control over that murderous fastball. Once, he unintentionally walked Ty Cobb. As Cobb went to first base, he turned to the mound and growled, What's the matter, Busher? Afraid to throw it over to me? On the mound, Lefty seethed. The next time Cobb came to the plate, Grove was ready for him. When he batted, Cobb kept his hands a few inches apart, bringing the top hand down to close the gap as his swing reached full strength. Grove knew it. His next fastball came in high and inside. Cobb went for it, but the ball smashed the bat between his hands before he could bring them together. The much-feared Georgian never taunted him again. Lefty Grove retired with 300 career victories, against only 140 defeats, one of the greatest winning percentages of all time and a record that got him into the Hall of Fame. His departure from baseball would have attracted national attention, and we might know more about him were it not for perfectly bad timing. He announced his retirement on December 7, 1941. The one day in American history, his remarkable record could not be heard.